Andrei. Troliai prieš elfus kovo, elfai prieš juos, atsakymas D. Suvaikėja seni per dylos. Ok, galim, ok. On the historic Lukasky Square in Vilnius, near the former KGB headquarters where many Lithuanians were tortured and executed during the Soviet era, a band of Lithuanians are hunting down pro-Russian trolls. Armed with phones and laptops, they are part of the volunteer internet resistance movement of more than 5,000 Lithuanians who are on a defense mission in cyberspace. They call themselves the Lithuanian Elves because they fight pro-Russian trolls online, says one of the Elves, Richardas Savukinas. Trolls are bad and they are from Russia, from Kremlin, and uh, who fight trolls? Elves. They patrol social media entries to find and expose fake accounts and pro-Russian trolls and help out established media outlets and then share the disclosures with the public. The movement began after the annexation of Crimea in 2014. One of the elves, Richarda Savokines, explains that many of them fear that Lithuania could be next in line if they don't protect their country against pro-Russian disinformation. Most of people in Lithuania understand that threat from Russia is real and most of people don't, do not want to have war here. My name is Ansofi Hoffmann Schroeder. I'm a journalist from Denmark specialized in troll hunting and corruption, disinformation and press freedom. Last year, I went to Lithuania to hunt trolls with the Lithuanian elves in order to find out how to counter disinformation. Disinformation is the act of deliberately spreading false information to deceive and influence public opinion, discredit political opponents and interfere in foreign affairs. Together with my colleagues, Finnish journalist Anna Saraste and Russian journalist and editor-in-chief of The Insider, Roman Toprokotov, we conducted a cross-border investigation about the spread of pro-Russian disinformation prior to the European parliamentary election. To shed a light on the fabricated lies, propaganda and disinformation in the months leading up to the EU elections, we took a deep dive into the strategies used, actors involved and narratives invoked. Through our investigation, we found out that closely-knit networks of pro-Kremlin Facebook groups were actively spreading disinformation ahead of the European elections. We also found out that disinformation campaigns happen in less open fora and on a more cyber-forensic level. And finally, that meddling doesn't begin or end with an electoral campaign. These findings are relevant because Kremlin and other foreign actors abuses the changing and fragile media environment in Europe and our internal struggles for their agenda. Lies and disinformation do have the potential to weaken and damage our democracies, but how do we counter it without compromising on our media freedom? At the insider's office in Moscow, Roman Toprokotov explains that he often comes across anti-Western narratives, which are created in Russia and then exported to European countries. Uh, one of the most important narratives is a narrative uh, is like anti-American. So all the 
or other Western countries are only puppets of Washington. Uh, that European is like the European Union is a fake organization. It's they're also uh, they're also puppets. So the second important topic is uh, anti-immigration narrative. So uh, they explain that immigrants uh, are the main danger for. Uh, Western countries and uh, Vladimir Putin is a good president because he doesn't let immigrants to Russia. In the same TV programs, in the same TV channels, they uh, and in the same blogs, of course, they promote ultra-right propaganda, which is anti-immigrant, anti-LGBT, and at the same time they would promote ultra-left agenda, anti-American, anti-globalism. It rings a bell both for um, people in European countries themselves because they're angry because of a lot of failures in their politics so they also like this um, um, critical message and of course for those uh, Putin support supporters in, inside Russia who are afraid of uh, some crisis afraid of immigrants and they are the main audience both there and uh, here in Russia but who are to blame for this? Anna Sarasta says there are many actors spreading pro-Russian disinformation, but who are they? So we have indeed state media, we have uh, people in political offices, authorities, um, we see um, increasingly also alternative media um, uh, popping up. Um, so this is not just bloggers, we're also talking about smaller news sites that um, are very, um, well, that don't, for instance, um, follow any journalistic code of conducts. Um, in Germany, for instance, uh, and in several other languages operates one, um, just to give you one example, operates one page called Newsfront, um, which is also registered in Russia, which is run from Russia, but which is a very professionally run media website. Uh, it looks very credible from the setup and uh, from the way articles are formulated. But then if you kind of go a bit deeper and look at the facts presented, at the sources, those are either very propagandist or um, they are even fake. I mean, in this project, we talked even about these sort of like fake experts that uh, have emerged, people who are not actual experts, but uh, who are presented as, as uh, um, experts uh, of a certain topic, just to have a name and a face and to put a quote on this person, but actually this person is not then a security advisor or, or whatever, political analyst, etc. Russia has a long history with propaganda, says Roman Toprokotov. So, is pro-Russian disinformation really something new? So, I think the first um, organized uh, disinformation as a part of governmental propaganda started under uh, Nikolai the uh, First. So, it was a nineteen forties, uh, right? So, um, one hundred seventy years ago, uh, and uh, it, of course, changed a lot through this years and uh, now we see it as a very complicated machine that includes both uh, internet trolls and Kremlin hackers together with uh, governmental TV channels that spread it both inside Russia and outside Russia in different languages. So it is a very very big complicated system. 
So does Russia even exceed other countries when it comes to disinformation? In comparison with other countries, no one would reach that scale when there are even special departments in security services that are dedicated only to disinformation. That is a very legitimate kind of work for them because they see it as, uh, as a real um, important uh, uh, job for security aims. So, uh, yeah, that is, uh, uh, that is kind of official part of uh, uh, their, uh, I would say, public relations. And the Russian modus operandi became more aggressive in recent years. But why and how? Uh, I think it changed uh, a lot, uh, especially after uh, 2014, after the start of war in Ukraine and uh, this new... Um, I would say a uh, new level of um, cold war between Russia and West because at some point Putin understood that um, there will be no business as usual anymore that no one in the West wants it so uh, he started he, he changed his policy foreign policy uh, to more North Korean style when we don't try to pretend that we are part of uh, Western community when and vice versa we try to pretend that we are very bad guys and insane guys and everybody should be afraid of us and we will no, we will not do bad things if they uh, like make some steps towards us so it's like Kim Chanun uh, policy that now uh, Vladimir Putin uses that's why propaganda also changed it became super aggressive and it started um, to involve uh, such things as hacker attacks when uh, governmental hackers from uh, GRU, which is Russian military in intelligence, uh, so they make some special operations to, for example, to um, get access to emails of some politicians or journalists uh, or NGO um, um, managers and then use their emails to uh, start some disinformation uh, campaign. So you use some real documents sometimes, uh, then change them a little bit or change the context and then it starts to sound as they found some super important uh, thing that discredits these people. One of the countries hit by this kind of sophisticated pro-Russian disinformation campaign, presumably linked to Kremlin, was Lithuania during its high electoral season in 2019. It all started on the 10th of April, where a dramatic animation video about an alleged bribe by the Lithuanian defense minister was uploaded to a YouTube channel called For Our Lithuania to the sound of aggressive techno music. The video in English was accompanied by virus-infected emails sent to the parliament at the president's office claiming that Lithuania's defense minister had been bribed with over $500,000 in the process of weaponry procurement procedures. The fake report also spread to the media and was hacked into regional outlets. The disinformation campaigns become increasingly coordinated, sophisticated and professional, says Edvina Skersa, the vice defense minister of Lithuania. Previously, informational attacks were made by a separate group of people and they were not well prepared. You know, 
text in Lithuanian language was not well translated. Uh, photos that were used inside emails or inside web pages were not realistic. Secondly, uh, cyber attacks were made by another group of people. But this time and from last year we see that this is combined. Already the same group of people does everything. It means they have uh, various types of specialists to hack, to do cyber activity, and at the same time qualified personnel to do an informational attack with a very well translated text with realistic photos to make an impression that this is all true. Nerius Malhiavichis, an expert in information warfare and political science at Vilnius University, finds it interesting that the attack was also done in English. This illustrates that it was not uh, specifically directed to internal audience, but it's a fake that uh, was thrown out for um, more of an external audience to, to break the reputation um, of our defense uh, sector more in the international context. From my perspective, what we are experiencing is uh, a kind of a Cold War II situation. What is similar from Soviet perspective at that time and now Kremlin's perspective, Russia's, Putin's perspective, is that they still employ those aggressive propaganda tools to, um, to attack NATO as their you know, fierce enemy. There's a network of new uh, useful idiots uh, uh, if uh, we look uh, in those past uh, times, uh, the, the, those were the networks of uh, Communist International, uh, those were the, the networks of, uh, you know, uh, pro-Soviet uh, you know, movements back in, in West, back in Europe. And basically now they are creating this new kind of international. It, it can be extreme right movements, it can be extreme left movements, but anyone who, you know, goes anti-systemic, you know, anti-establishment is a very good tool in, in all those strategies. The Russian disinformation campaigns often address Lithuania's problems such as immigration, the energy sector and income inequality, he says. They are not inventing uh, issues, uh, they are not uh, inventing conflicts, uh, they are simply uh, kind of uh, putting salt on the existing wounds. And that is the genius of, of the whole uh, Kremlin uh, campaigns, because in the end, uh, you know, Putin come, can come forward and say, hey, don't blame us, that's not us behind that, you know. When the hacking campaigns happen, they are saying that that's not us, that's some, you know, cyber hooligans, cyber criminals. But that is the, the, the whole mystique of this plausible deniability. And uh, this, this is the whole, you know, modus operandi of this in, the, in those campaigns. Lithuania is said to be on the front line of an information war between Russia and the West, and there's been an increasing pro-Russian information activities in Lithuania, says Sergeant Thomas Oponis from the Lithuanian Ministry of Defense and their Department of Strategic Communication. 
Today, recently, we have so completely overwhelming amount of uh, fake news, disinformation, propaganda in different sources. Uh, last year, we had somewhere almost 3,000 different uh, disinformation cases in Lithuania. And this, we are counting only original ones. So later on, usually these uh, disinformation cases, they are... Uh, let's say spread through the different channels. Each year actually we see increase and uh, and I believe that the technologies, uh, media technologies which are around us, they let us um, or let the creators of this information operation to do this. Uh, there are so many different uh, platforms and uh, you can upload uh, information almost uh, without any limitation and later on you can uh, spread this information without any borders, uh, without any restriction. Lithuania does a lot to counter disinformation on a governmental level, in the media, and on civic level, like the activism of the Lithuanian elves. According to Thomas Saponis, Lithuanians are probably more media literate than most Europeans. But why is that? Living in these kind of uh, informational conditions um, probably forces force our society to be more concerned what is happening in, uh, let's say, in information environment. Um, when you are going, for example, um, to internet, so you're supposed to act not as uh, going to shop in supermarket, but you're supposed to feel like uh, going for the mushroom picking in the forest and there is only one, uh, let's say, kind of mushroom which are eatable and all other mushrooms are poisonous and toxic. During our investigation, my Finnish colleague Anna Saraste also found out that a key component when trying to defeat disinformation is, in fact, media literacy. Increasing media literacy among different groups, this is very, very important. What I think also I realized throughout uh, our investigation is that um, what also often authorities focus on are kind of young people, um, teenagers and, and young adults that they think need media literacy education. But actually, um, uh, it's quite obvious that these um, like younger adults already have a very high level of media literacy, also because they um, already grew up with social media, using social media, also being aware that anyone can create content there. And um, so it also, I mean, to, according to different studies, it's definitely people um, above the age of 50 who are more prone to believe uh, different conspiracy theories and, um, and fake news. And this has also a bit to do with kind of just a cultural uh, change. Um, so people um, who are now in their 50s also use social media, but they also grew up in a time when there still was mainstream media that you could sort of like believe to tell you the truth, there was an already kind of um, pre-chewed, um, uh, checked truth that, that media was uh, distributing. And legal punishment could also be an option, she suggests. There was one very, very prominent case in Finland. Uh, it came to a trial. So um, journalist uh, Jessica Aro, who has been um, uh, reporting on the on the St. Petersburg troll factory and who was uh, because of this also targeted with a lot of, uh, um, well, a, a basically a defamation campaign um, orchestrated by, by pro-Russian networks. Um, she went to trial and she, she won the case in Finland. So... Um, so the, the people, there were three people being accused of defaming her 
and spreading lies about her online and um, and they all got very hefty uh, monetary punishments uh, sentences so so this is a, this was a very uh, groundbreaking case but so far there aren't too many like this in the EU and a lot of like uh, act activism or if you want to call it activism but the people who spread this information uh, this is still um, I mean there is no retributions for doing that so the intense uh, incentives for stopping um, this uh, spreading of, of uh, fakes and, and of wrong information are very low, and this needs to be changed, of course. Several countries around the world have implemented laws against fake news, but also used this as a tool to censor free speech, especially criticism of the government. And this is a very dangerous development. So my Russian colleague, Roman Dobrokotov, says that it is on our side, the journalist side, to fight fake news. But how exactly should we do that? So what we should do is to monitor propaganda, monitor disinformation and debunk fake news on everyday basis, showing the real picture. Because in modern society, most of people get their information through social networks, and it is very difficult to uh, to distinguish. So what we do is we monitor propaganda and then make debunk fake news, write about this. So at least um, when people have some doubts, they can go to our website and uh, check if it, it was already debunked. Uh, or if they don't know about our website, they can just Google it and see uh, this debunk. And I think that um, it is um, important for journalists from different countries to work together because sometimes this disinformation is kind of cross-border things. Like, um, for example, we uh, collaborated with Swedish journalists to debunk some information about uh, immigrant crisis in one of the cities, which has never happened actually. But to, to fact check this, we needed this collaboration with local journalists because it was very difficult for us without knowing Swedish language and Swedish realities. If all the mainstream media would do the same job, uh, I think it would be very difficult to promote this information. Russian disinformation is becoming increasingly professional. And Europe has become the target of massive systematic disinformation campaigns from Kremlin and other external actors. It is deliberately spread by Russian state media, hackers, trolls, so-called fake spurts and local movements from both the far right and far left within Europe. These campaigns try to exploit internal conflicts to destabilize Europe and create distrust and chaos. We also took you to Lithuania, where the Lithuanian elves work together with the media and the authorities to counter disinformation. And this also proves that enhancing media literacy among Europeans is essential in the fight against disinformation. My colleagues and I, and every journalist on the continent, carry a great responsibility to monitor and debunk disinformation by simply stating the facts and telling the truth. 
And so the news remains the stage of an ongoing battle between power and truth, and between elves and trolls. Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Are We Europe and sponsored by Journalism Fund. My name is Anne-Sophie Hoffmann-Schroeder and special thanks to my colleagues Anna Saraste and Roman Tobrokotov and every journalist who gives those who spread disinformation a hard time.